The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azael. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azael shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, uh, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azael. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on his finger in front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one shall be, uh, may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all of the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off all the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. 
and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on the garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Aziel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in, wa- in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and for the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with the fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native nor the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once a year, because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Let's pray. Father, we again enter this strange book uh, that is in your word. It is from a time that is so different from ours, with practices that are so different from ours. It is, the, it is from the time before Jesus who has made all of these things obsolete. Just as it was meant to prepare your people for Jesus, help us to understand and to trust in Christ and in His work for us. Write it deep in our hearts this morning. Father, in addition, my frailty is just so apparent to me this morning. And so for the sake of Your your glory and for the good of Your people, I ask that You give me firmness of mind this morning, that what I say would be clear and honoring to You. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Sunday, we were, I got a preview copy of a documentary called The, the Grandfathers, and it's about the next generation from uh, Steve Saint, whose story was told in the movie The End of the Spear, or actually End of the Spear. And uh, it's about what happens and there's this, uh, to this family that is connected to the tragedy that occurred in Ecuador back in the 1950s when Jim Elliott died. One of the men who was there was Nate Spears. He was the pilot of the, of the jungle plane that went down. Well, the plane didn't go down. Uh, but he was the one who flew the missionaries into Ecuador. And uh, he was killed with them. And so it just follows through what God has, was able to do through that whole process and all of these circumstances. And one of the pivotal points of this little documentary was they were telling the story of these anthropological students who had come down from Washington State into Ecuador. And here they are, they're sitting around the campfire talking with the people from the Wadoni tribe. And one of the students goes, I remember reading in my anthropology books about this this one tribe that was known as one of the most violent cultures in our world. She says, do you know anything about them? To which one of the older ladies say, they are us. 
and goes on to tell the story of what happened, of how the, 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 the reality of revenge had overwhelmed their culture. And what, the, what happened would be is if uh, someone had killed, say, my father, I as the son would be responsible to gain vengeance for my father's death by going and spearing that man. Well, what do you think would happen? That man's son would then have the, the, the responsibility, the debt of honor to come after me with his own spear. And so it would just kind of go back and forth, almost like those mafia movies or something, you know? Uh, and, and so that the people wouldn't grow old in that culture because they would have been murdered. And so this was one of the most violent cultures. What is it that made this incredibly violent culture into one in which those students could then sit in peace without fear. We'll get there. Keep that in mind. But the big idea this morning that leads us unto that is that Jesus is the one who bore our sin and God's wrath so that we might have peace with God and with one another. The context of this whole passage is the Day of Atonement, that one day of the year uh, that was the one day that the great, uh, great high priest could enter into the most holy place. He, he was, everyone was prohibited from entering at any time other than that, and he was the only one that was permitted to go into the most holy place that one day. This refers to what had happened with Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Some very bad things happened. Precisely because God reveals himself in the cloud that is over the mercy seat in the most high place. And so, so there is a special manifestation of God's presence in the most holy place. And so when Nadab and Abihu, in their sinful ways, entered into the most holy place when they weren't supposed to and offered fire that they were not supposed to, the wrath of God broke out and the two of them were consumed by fire. Aaron, as any father would be, was distraught over this. And here God is telling Aaron how he is able to enter into the most holy place in order to do his work for the people of God who need him as the high priest to go in there and do his work. So this is good. This is strange to us, but this is good. If it starts with the priest's sin offering, then moves into the goats for the people's sin offering, and then results with the priest's burnt offering. And so there's a pattern that is followed here. We see that when he enters into the most holy place, he offers incense. It, a cloud of incense comes up, so it covers the mercy seat, so the wrath of God does not break out against the high priest until such time as he is able to put the blood upon the mercy seat and upon the altar that is found there. We could talk about a whole lot of stuff today, but I want to focus on the two goats. That is what, that is what I'm going to focus on this morning, the two goats that are presented. But that's the, the greater context into which we must understand what happens with the two goats. First of all, we see that Jesus bears the wrath of God in our place. This is represented by the first goat. Okay, God makes it clear that these goats are to be presented to himself as a sin offering. The first one, specifically because it, it, the lot is cast, and in, in one it says, is for the Lord. It is to be presented to Him. Its work is, is meant to be done with respect to God. It is to be killed in God's presence. 
the high priest is then to take its blood and he is to sprinkle it into the most holy place on the mercy seat and on the altar. And then he comes out to the altar at the front of the tabernacle and he, he, he sprinkles it upon that as well. Why does he do this? What is going on? This text repeatedly uses the, the phrase, the uncleannesses, if you can say that one, the plural of uncleanness, of the people. This word has that idea we talked about last week uh, of ethical or moral pollution. Okay, Sin has stained them, and it must be removed. It can only be removed by the blood. And I talked last week about you know, silver, and you need only thing that can kill a clean silver is silver cleaner. Okay, but I was thinking in light of today, not today specifically, but the radiation baths. Okay, there's only one way to get if you've been exposed to radiation in your clothing and things. We've seen movies that have taken this stuff taking place. There's a certain procedure that must be undergone in order to become clean from the radiation you have been exposed to, and that's similar to this. The radiation, if you don't clean it off, it's going to contaminate other people. It's going to radiate them. Okay, Radiation doesn't stay right where it is. That's the whole point of radiation. It goes out and gets others. And so that's the reality as well of our sin. It doesn't stay with us, but the uncleanness spreads like an infection. The only way to deal with it ultimately is with blood, as it says in the Scriptures. And so he must do this to cleanse the sanctuary of the uncleannesses of the people, but also he mentions the transgressions of the people. This word points to rebellion, the rejection of of authority, particularly God's authority. For some reason, maybe because Sammy Hagar was in the news this week because he says he was abducted by aliens. Um, <laughs> but I, just, I Can't Drive 55, one of his uh, probably most popular songs. Uh, you know, there's something in us. We see a sign, speed limit 55. We can't drive that. We have to go at least 56. If we see the sign that says, do not walk on the grass, what do we have to do? Don't you feel that inner compulsion? Don't you want to walk on the grass? Okay, there's something in us that wants to transgress boundaries. Okay? When mom and dad say it's time to go to bed at 7.30, what do we want to do? We want to stay up till 7.40 at least. This is, it's a part of us. This transgression, and it's transgression when we actually do it as well. Okay? They were rebellious. Rebellion necessarily fractures the relationship. Okay, there's more going on than just, oh, you broke a law. But now you've fractured the relationship you have with the one who made the law. Okay? And that fractured relationship must be put right. I, I couldn't help but think of Kobe Bryant. Okay? What does he do? He at the very least commits adultery. Okay, he's, he's violated and fractured the relationship his wife, with his wife. And how does he put it back together again? He buys the biggest stinking ring I've ever seen. Okay? He's trying to, to re, take away her wrath that exists. He's trying to pacify her wrath. And so what we see in this offering here is that the priest is making atonement. He is pacifying God's wrath so that God does not destroy His people. Because remember, 
Where's the tent of meeting? It's in the center of the camp. And so, if God is not, if God's wrath is not pacified or appeased, His wrath may break out upon the whole camp, the whole community, the whole people of Israel, and He could destroy them because of their sin. And so this is why the goat must be slain to appease God's wrath. We see something like this in Ephesians chapter 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. It's becoming very popular now to try in the greater evangelical world, I use that term loosely, to sort of deny the reality of the wrath of God. But you, you have to take a big, a whole lot of white out to your Bible to erase the wrath of God. Okay, So we see that in Ephesians 5. We see it again in, in Romans 5. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? See, people want to somehow deny the reality that we are saved from God's wrath. Scriptures, if we're, if we're faithful to the Scriptures, they won't allow us to go there. Because God has wrath towards sin and sinners. And we see His mercy in that He provided the atone, the sacrifices to take rid of, to get rid of that so His people could come into His presence without being destroyed. And so this big term, expiation, has to do with the reality that, that God's wrath is removed through the sacrifice. A substitute bears it. And that substitute we know is Jesus. As we talked, we heard from Hebrews 9 this morning. It is he who entered not into the earthly tabernacle, but who entered into the heavenly tabernacle, the one that is perfect and the, the one upon which the earthly tabernacle was modeled, if you go into Exodus. He entered into it to make full, permanent atonement to remove the wrath of God from his people. And so if you are saved by grace through faith, okay, key, if you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then this is true. God is no longer angry with you. So don't act like he is. <laughs> don't run and hide from him as though his, his fierce anger might break out. But no, and experience his love and compassion because his wrath has been poured out on his own son. But know this as well. If you are not saved by grace through faith, meaning if you do not believe or trust in Jesus Christ to deliver you from God's wrath, it remains upon you. It is still there. So flee from the wrath into Christ by faith. And so the first goat points us to Jesus' work of bearing God's righteous wrath for sinners. Secondly, Jesus bears our sin 
out of the presence of God. We see this strange phrase that appears a few times. Uh, I think it was three or four. Uh, the second goat is for Azazel. And you're all going, okay, what is that? Who is that? Most of you probably are. There might be a few of you who have seen the movie with Denzel Washington, Fallen, and that might ring a bell, like, oh, that was the demon. Well, some people think that this is referring to a goat demon and that this is an offering that goes to that demon. Uh, Basically, this is the idea of this ransom to Satan theory that uh, some people believe in. Um, it could This term could just really refer to the scapegoat, or it could refer to that place sort of in the wilderness, a deserted, forsaken place. We're not exactly sure what this word means. It's one of those things, this is the only place it shows up. There, there's no real context for us to know exactly, precisely what it means, and uh, there's no root for us to really grasp what it means, but this I do know. The very next chapter, Leviticus 7, uh, 17 rather, uh, I believe it's verse 7, prohibits sacrifices to goat idols. So I know this. <laughs> he is, it, Aziel is not the name of a demon. Okay? The movie Fallen, while it's a fun movie to watch, no reality in this. Okay, um, There is no ransom to Satan, for our debt is not to Satan. It is to God himself. And while I love the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, that's one of those slight errors that C.S. Lewis has, is that he has sort of this atonement to the witch or to Satan. Not in Scripture do we find this. The great high priest takes both of his hands, puts them on the head of the goat, and I just... My mind, we went to the Phoenix Zoo this week, and so my kids were petting the goats, you know, so the goats are in my mind. He places his hands upon the goats, and what he does is he confesses the sins of Israel there. Most likely, he probably just went right through the Ten Commandments and said, we did this. We have not kept you. There are other gods that we have allowed to creep in before you and beside you. We have not, uh, I mean, we have made vain and idle images. We've used your word in vain. We have not kept the Sabbath. We have lied. We have cheated. We have committed adultery. We have not honored our parents. He goes through. And as he's confessing the sins of the people, the text says is that he's actually laying them upon the goat. They're being transferred from the people onto this goat. What he confesses is their iniquities. This Hebrew word, it comes from the root to be bent or twisted, and it points to their perversity and their depravity as well as their guilt. That there's some, that the reality that it's not just you do bad things, but that, but that you're bad. There's a bentness, a twistedness to us. C.S. Lewis in one of his better comments talks about how man is curved inward. That, that our, we're not looking up toward God and looking out toward people, but we're looking in toward self. I used to use this acronym that sin means selfish in nature. I saw in a restaurant in Winter Haven, Florida, a woman walked in with this, it's all about me on her shirt. That's sin. That's the, that is what sin does to us. It makes all of life 
about us. We become the center of our little universe, and everyone else exists to satisfy our wants and desires, much as how we talked about in Sunday school this morning. So this is for, he confesses their iniquities. He also confesses their transgressions. As I said, their rebellious acts. And we see, so to speak, in the, the story of the Wadoni tribe, their bentness, their selfishness, led them into these acts of violence, these acts of revenge. Okay, They flowed out of the tainted heart, but it manifested itself in killing other people, seeking revenge. Okay, What's to happen to this goat? This goat was not killed like the first goat. This goat was sent away. It is expelled. It is forced out of the community. This is the same word that is used for divorce. It's banished. It's bearing the punishment of the people who deserve to be expelled from the blessing of God's presence. It bears the sin of the people, symbolically removing the sin from God's sight. They're gone. What often happens when sin hits a relationship? What goes on? Don't we tend to nurse and rehearse it? Amy says something that I don't like. I know, it doesn't happen. Hey, marriage, i got to talk about it, right? I'm the bad guy here because what I'll do is I'll sit, how could she say that about me? Who does she think she is? Where does she come off doing this kind? And I will be driving in the car sometimes, and I will. that's the stupid stuff that goes through my brain. I'll be agitated about it, far exceeding any offense that may have occurred, even though usually it's not an actual real offense. See, I just got you off the hook, baby. Okay? What this means is, though, God doesn't nurse and rehearse. If you are a Christian, God is not bringing up your sin either to himself. That's stupid, Steve. What is he doing today? I can't believe. He just keeps doing the same dumb things over and over again. He's not bringing it up to himself, and he's also not bringing it up to you. What would happen in our marriage if I was bringing up past offenses? You know, yeah, Amy, yeah, like five years ago when you did this, you know, if I kept the the, the great big book of all the times Amy sinned against me, how do you think our marriage would go? (laughs) Not so good. What this is saying is that the book of our great big sins against God has been removed. He's not going to turn to, oh yeah, Steve Cavallaro. March 26, 2011. This is what you did. Man, it's gone. It's been removed. It's been carried out of the presence of God by his scapegoat, Jesus. Jesus, who was also removed from the camp. He suffered outside of the city, as we talked about a little bit last week from Hebrews 13. And so what we see when we stop and think about this 
if we join Jesus outside the camp now, which is what Hebrews 13 encourages us to do, if we are united with him outside of the camp now, we will be united with him in the new Jerusalem then. Okay? We're on the outside, so to speak, now, but we'll be on the inside then. But if we refuse to join Jesus outside of the camp now, okay, if we remain inside with Jesus, without Jesus, we will be outside the new Jerusalem without Jesus. Does that make sense? If you stay in the city without him, when the new Jerusalem comes, you're going to be outside of the city without him. Revelation 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Okay, So those who have joined Jesus outside the city, who have washed their robes, are now welcome inside of the city, it says. Outside, however, are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the, the idolaters, and everyone else who loves and practices falsehood. And so outside the city are those who have no claim on Jesus Christ. They are without Him and they are outside of the city, the new Jerusalem. Okay? And so we see that Jesus bears the sins of His people out of God's presence so that they no longer produce wrath in God. And so Jesus not only removes the wrath of God, but He removes the reason for the wrath of God. Okay, what now? From that last section, I believe we are to humble ourselves and to rest in Christ in response to this good news. It talks about how the Israelites were to afflict themselves. Another word for that would be to humble themselves. They were to come repenting. We are to come repenting, humbled by Christ's work. They often fasted. That's, what it, that's the affliction that they usually partook in. They fasted in part to represent their putting off of sin. It was a manifestation of their repentance. This is a good time to fast, but I'm not saying you must fast. But I know that the cross should humble you. To know that to be in God's presence required the cross in all of its horror. That in order for me to be in God's presence required that His Son be torn to pieces, nailed to a cross, and die. That should humble me. The cross should also transform you as you lay aside the sin that put it there. And so the first talks, the humbling should talk about justification. I'm accepted before God because of the cross, but also the cross has to do with my sanctification as I begin to, by the grace of God, lay aside the things that put Jesus there. I put to death my sin in the power of the Spirit, as Paul says in Romans. Romans. 
not only are we to afflict ourselves, so to speak, but this was a Sabbath day. This was a day of rest. It was not an ordinary day. They were to cease from their work regardless of whether it was uh, Saturday. It didn't matter which day of the week. Let's do this. In Hebrews, it talks about how we who believe have entered in this rest that was promised. We, by faith in Christ, have entered the promised rest, the greater rest of our great high priest. What does that mean? We've typically talked about how uh, the Reformed heritage has talked about partially how um, we rest from our sin in our works. So let's kind of explode this a little bit. Let's think about the Wadoni tribe. They rest from their revenge. They're breaking the cycle of sin that has captivated them for centuries. How is it that they broke the cycle initially? The families of the men they killed came to them but did not seek revenge. They talked about one who bore the pain of the spear himself that we might not inflict it upon anyone else ever again. They said, we are not going to harm you precisely because of the one we, our God, Jesus Christ, who died to save sinners like you. And so they came to know the peace and they laid down, they rested from their revenge. And so that's one way in which we rest. Another way is that we don't have to earn God's acceptance. We rest from our religiosity, from our own vain attempts to somehow make it right with God. We rest in the grace of Jesus Christ by faith. These people didn't have to offer their own sacrifices to be made right with God. They only had to accept God's sacrifice to be made right with God. So that's what happened to the Wadoni tribe. Jesus showed up. And Jesus changed them so that those students would feel safe in the presence of those people. The cycle of sin can end, but it only ends through the work of Jesus Christ. He who bore sin and wrath, the wrath it deserves, so that we can enter into God's presence. It is He who puts an end to sinning through sanctification that is rooted in His work on the cross. And so, have you placed your sins on Jesus yet by faith? Or are you still trying to deal with them on your own power? The first provides salvation. The second is useless. And the wrath of God still remains. Let's pray. Father, um, this morning I was just reminded of Luther's comments in his commentary in Galatians of how he must pound the truth into the heads, people's heads because we're so forgetful. So I ask that you would indeed pound the truth deep into our hearts that we may no more live as guilty people 
who avoid you or try to appease you. Help us to, uh, when we fail, when we sin, when we break your law, to look to Jesus, who is the fountain of all grace, that sufficiently and solely deals with our sin problems. As you have set uh, us who believe free from the penalty of sin, set us free from the practice of sin through Christ, the sin and wrath-bearing substitute in whose name we pray. Amen.